Hello, I'm Craig Constantine. Welcome to the Movers Mindset Podcast, where I talk with movement enthusiasts to find out who they are, what they do, and why they do it. My guest today is Dr. Evelyn Higgins. Founder of Wired for Addiction, Dr. Evelyn Higgins is a recognized international expert in the science of addiction recovery. She is a certified addictionologist, diplomat of the American Board of Disability Analysts, specializing in pain management, and diplomat of the American College of Addictionology and Compulsive Disorders. Dr. Higgins has had the honor of advising the U.S. Surgeon General, producing and hosting a Gracie Award-winning nationally syndicated health and wellness radio program, and serving as the 1996 Olympic team doctor and Olympic torch bearer. With 35 years in practice, Dr. Higgins has specialized in the clinical application of the neuroscience and epigenetics behind mental health complexities, and currently finds herself at the nexus of epigenetics, neuroscience, and health. Hello, good morning, Evelyn. How are you? I'm wonderful, Craig. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. We've had a couple opportunities to talk. People are learning how this works. A couple opportunities to talk. So obviously, Evan and I have been talking here this morning, and we talked previously. Uh, I got a list like as long as my arm of things I want to talk about, and, and like the clock is ticking. So I want to start by saying, let's. Um, if anybody knows about you, this is going to be like, wait, where are we going? I want to talk about the Camino de Santiago, if I've slaughtered it reasonably closely. You did... Uh, I don't know if I should call it a hike, a pilgrimage, or a walk. I'll let you unpack that. You did that um, from the shore in inward, north, uh, heading west. No, correct geography, heading east <laughs> across Spain. Um, so tell me, uh, people can look it up on Wikipedia and we'll link it. But that's, um, you spent 32 days, I believe you said, going 800 kilometers, 500 miles for those of us in the States across Spain. And what I want to know, because you have a background in terrestrial radio and 16 years of R&D, so you are a very smart person. I want to know, before you took that walk, you had an idea in your head of like, why am I doing this? What do I think I'm going to get out of it? And then somewhere along the way, maybe day three, maybe day 23, you had a mindset shift in there. And tell me about what it what that journey became for you and like what you really took away from it. Oof, right to the meat of it, Craig. You good? <laughs> so, Compostela de Santiago, I started in southern France, Saint-Jean-Port, mm. went through the Pyrenees Mountains. We have to keep that in there because that was a tough part. And then from the east of the west to Spain. So, I read about the Camino, what we call it in America, the Camino, um, in a book called The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. Outstanding mm. book for anyone who has not read it. I highly suggest you do. Uh, it's a very quick read too. So read about it in there. And from that point, it was one of those things that just wouldn't, I couldn't let go of. And uh, to leave my practice, to leave my daughter, she was now a freshman in college. So she was away. It was something that could have been done. I was a single parent. So prior to that, that wasn't going to happen. But mm -hmm. to leave my practice for that long, that was kind of a risky idea. And I said, well, as long as I can get a doctor to come in and cover, it's meant to be because this idea would not leave me. So I did. I found somebody that would cover. I'm like, okay, I'm doing this. This is a little nuts, but I'm going to do it. 
And my idea was to broadcast my radio show that, as you said, I was doing terrestrial radio, so AM, FM radio at the time. And, and I'm like, wow, this is everything I talk about, your physical health, your emotional health, your intellectual health, your spiritual health. And if I actually broadcast from the trail, this will be awesome, right? Well, that never yeah. happened as much of life, right? <laughs> oh, no. Did you lug gear and then not use it? Oh, no, I, 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 I I'll call myself out. I once lugged a hammer on the Appalachian Trail in case I needed to drive a tent stake. I'm in Pennsylvania. There are rocks everywhere, but my friend let me carry a hammer. So, yeah, I know what it's like to carry stuff. Right. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't have run. Yeah, that was my fantasy to have somebody carry my stuff for me. Um, but anyway, because yeah, even you have to have your sleeping bag, your your mm-hmm. everything, you know, your two sets of clothes, the, the only two sets of clothes that you have this whole time. And as you said, it took me 32 days to do this. So it was on day 12 that I realized why this idea would not leave me. Mm-hmm. And I had met already, you know, 12 days of worth of meeting people. I was doing this on my own. So what happens on the Camino is that people just walk up to you from all different languages, all different countries and say, can I walk with you? And you either say yes or no, either you want to be by yourself wow. and you're, you're, you've got stuff going on in your head and you need this time alone or like, Hey, sure, let's chat. And I mean, Craig, you would, by the end of this, the, by the end of the day, you would have heard everybody's stories of life and may not ever see them again, may not even know what their name was, but you got deeper with that individual than probably anywhere. Really interesting. So I had met this woman from Holland and she said, have you gone to any of the churches? And I said, not so far because I was just trying to get through the Pyrenees mountains. (laughs) 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 I'm guessing you can see them, right? You're like, Oh, that's a problem. (laughs) Oh boy. Okay. Um, so I said, no, I hadn't. And we were in this little village and I said, you know, I think I'm going to go tonight. So went into this church and in this very small village and I sat in the last row or the last pew and a priest comes in and, and as much of other parts of the country, um, you know, there were visiting priests cause there weren't as many as there were at one time in the society. And the priest starts talking and he said, um, you're going to have three meetings along the way. And I'm like, he said, the first meeting is going to be with yourself. I'm like, wow, that's already happened. Because when all you do every day is eat, walk, and sleep, you have time to process all that information that every day we say, put that in the back. I'll get to that later because it, you don't want to get there. There's stuff that hurts, right? Mm. It's like you're going to have a meeting with yourself. You're going to have a meeting with the people that you meet along the way. And I was meeting the coolest people. These weren't your average people like, hey, let's go to Disney World. Let's go to Disneyland. These were people that like wanted to experience life on every level. Well, I'm going to say people like you, to be quite frank, it's like you, you met yourself. (laughs) (laughs) And then he's like, and then your third meeting is going to be with God. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And this was the kicker. He said, right now, you know exactly who you are. When you're finished, you'll be somebody completely different. Hmm. That's the part that hit me. I'm like, whoa, now I know why I'm here. 
But now I have so much more to process because I, I was doing this to end it on my 50th birthday and start the second half of my life. I'm like, I know who I am. I know everything, you know, but I'm going to be different. Whoa, we're going to shake up the apple cart. This, <laughs> this could be a problem. So I go back and everybody is hanging outside of the place where we stay and um, drinking wine and chatting about the day, what they learned from themselves, from other people. And I just went right up to my sleeping bag, got out my notebook and I started writing. I'm like, whoa, that, that part of, you know, exactly who you are, but you will never be that person again. That really hit me. And then that was, that was day 12. And I said, now I know why I'm here. And it was such a crazy idea to take that much time and go do that, that hike. But it did change my life in, in every single way. Um, so it was amazing. It was on all of those levels, your physical health, your emotional health. What I processed were things that a lot of times people never do, you know, and, and we end this life with don't want to touch that. You know, the intellectual part of my French was, eh, my, my Spanish was, eh, you know, but it had to be good enough. So good when enough. you're immersed, like in any culture, when you're there and immersed, yes. that's when yes. it really gets good, right? So by the end, I was like, wow, I could live here. Um, yeah. And our spiritual health, you know, why, why, why do we do what we do? What's our purpose in life? Why are we here? So as you can imagine, it was an incredible, incredible trip. In fact, at the end of it, um, my daughter flew over to Spain and then we went on to Italy together, but I met her at the airport and she was 19 at the time. So a kid that's just traveled, you know, over to Europe is like, okay, let's get some food. So we're, we're trying to get her luggage. And she's like, mom, are you hungry? I said, yeah, but I'm just kind of really, really relaxed. And she keeps looking at me and looking at me while we're waiting for her bag. She's like, mom, are you on drugs? And I said, what? <laughs> I'm like, no. I said, are you kidding me? I said, first off, that's not me. I said, but second, I said, I learned how to tap into something that I will never forget. And for her, that to be the first thing that she recognized, like, wow, what's going on? Because even as I say it, I can get myself back to that place. You know, my voice changes and it's like, whoa, everything is good. But it was the most incredible trip. It really was. The people I met were incredible. Everything about it was really, really special. And to this day, so that was, I'm going to be 13, oh, 13. I'm going to be 63. <laughs> 13, wow. okay, 13 years into your second life. I see yeah. what you did there. <laughs> right. so it was 13 years ago, started in April, ended it in May. Um, but it still, still has that effect on me when I talk about it. It's incredible. It's incredible. And, and no two people are going to have the same Camino. Same experience. Yeah. And no two people, it, even if I went back to do it again, there was a there was a movie company that had heard me talk it, about it on the radio in Atlanta prior, and they came and said, "We want to film this. When you come back, we want to do this. We want to do that. Make sure you take notes." I was like, "Yeah, whatever." You know, I wasn't really either way. I wasn't. I was going to journal anyway. Either way, it didn't really matter to me. Um, but all all of these things were just so embedded in me when I came back. They're like, "Okay, we have to get you on film now." And I said, "No, I don't think so." No. We have to go to the film. I said, no, no. Like, you're going to forget these stories. I said, this is the part you don't understand. I will Until never do it. forget the experience that I had. Yeah. 
It was incredible. I, I, I think the hardest part about podcasting is what I want to do when you stop talking right there is just press stop, <clears throat> <laughs> slap off my headphones and hit publish. Um, and I like, I always want to repeat to affirm that I heard you, but I also don't want to say a word because what you said was just perfect and you completely covered it. And the beauty of podcasting is people can rewind and listen to it again. Um, the question that was burning as you were talking was, I want to know what your daughter's thought was. And it's like you, that was just like right where you went. So right. I was like, it's right. perfect. Um, I warned about Craig turns left without turn signals. So I'm watching the <laughs> clock tick. And the reason that um, your assistant originally reached out to me and asked, Ooh, I think you might want to talk to Dr. Higgins. Um, you, what you do in genetics is, I mean, I don't want to say it's completely different from that because I know enough of your backstory to know why, but we need to turn left and talk about wired for addiction. We need to talk a little bit about, um, biology and, I, I don't want to like, you know, caution everybody, science geek, but I, I just want to say, we're going to mention a couple of things that are like DNA related. Don't panic. It's, it, you don't have to worry about the details. Um, so I think it's important to talk about uh, when you were in your practice before you went on the, on the, I want to say hike, but that doesn't do it justice. Um, was, were you already working in genetics and working in research and then I, you changed? Sure. I was doing yeah. research at that time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We were, we've done research for 16 years of what we do now at mm -hmm. Wired for Addiction. So that mm -hmm. was, that was part of that kind of transition. And if people are still listening, you wouldn't have heard me if you weren't, you do need to go listen to Dr. Higgins did a TEDx talk. Uh, it's not particularly long. It's a few minutes and it also like repeat, I'm guessing what we're about to say. <laughs> you should listen to that too. Um, so wired for addiction, which I'm pretty sure is wired for addiction.com, uh, is sort of the web front. So can you tell me about what the, like, tell me the message that you want to get out there. Cause I don't want to just put words in your mouth. Sure. So at wired for addiction, um, great talking about the, the Ted Craig, because the Ted talk really gives a backstory as to the why yes. wired for addiction was even created personally and professionally, um, professionally, I uh, was, um, treating people in the area of pain management and disability and seeing people be on more and more prescriptions, not getting better, and ultimately becoming addicted. Yeah. Um, try this. Doesn't work. Try that. That was right, the beautiful right, way you it. described it. Yeah, let's try this. Try that. Half it. Double it. Well, you know, it, it doesn't make sense. And then the personal part was I married an alcoholic. Um, and we had a child. And a year later, we found out that he was adopted. And now all of this, his behavior his mental health behavior started to make more and more sense to me because there was, I, I could see this lack of bonding. I could see this lack of inability to love. I could see the, who are you in this today? Who are you in this hour? Who are you in this minute? You didn't know who was showing up. So personally and professionally um, in both ways was this effect that addiction have on, on people. It's not just the individual. It's everybody in their world. And as the first part of what we did, we were looking at neurotransmitters, hormones, their interaction together. That was 16 years ago. And then in 2015, the technology to look at, okay, science word, but I'm going to explain it. SNPs, single 
nucleotide polymorphism, genetic SNP. All that means is that there's an error in genetic coding. That error creates certain behaviors. We call them aberrant behaviors. And what are those things? They're things like impulse control, risk-taking, addiction, anxiety, depression, all of those things. So we were able to now measure those. So we took all of this together and we look at 85 different biomarkers related to addiction, substance abuse, and mental health. And that has definitely become my life's work. And you see why, you know, when we look back at, back at our lives, we're like, wow, this happened for this to happen to this to happen. Just like we were talking earlier about the Camino, you know, for then what's the next step for this to happen for this to happen. And it's, it's a game changer for people when we can identify the why and it's 2023. Why are we still practicing in this addiction space of if it's 1950, it's 1970, it's, it's 1990. There's still a stigma. We still look at it as a moral flaw when it's a disease. And we, and we talked a little bit about that um, in a pre-call we had where I asked you, like, what, what are you getting pushback on? What are you working on? And yeah, uh, the pushback is exactly what everybody's imagining. Like what you just thought of, that pushback, that's what she's getting. But there's also a surprising or like a, a delightfully hopeful amount of, yeah. of positive, you know, so um, without putting stories in your mouth, I'm guessing that there are situations where this is like a, oh, there's another option here for somebody who's done AA six times. Right, right, right. Or even done rehab to the, you know, they tell me how much they've spent on rehab and no one's ever looked at the biological component. Right. You know, we, we talk about addiction as a biopsychosocial disease and you can't see me, but I'm making a triangle with my triangle. fingers, biopsychosocial. But we don't look at the bio. We look at the psychosocial. And, and that part is a big part of it. You have to talk. You have to get these things out of you. But we also have to address the physiology because when people have had traumas in their life, when they have had undiagnosed conditions, your physiology changes. So we've got to address the physiology part of it. And that's what we're able to do when, when we go over results with individuals, Craig, sometimes there's crying from the individual themselves, from their families. Now, all of a sudden the family says, this makes sense. I get it. The individual says, and I'm using air quotes here. I'm not crazy. Like, no, this is your labs. We can't make this stuff up. You know, right, because we're talking about people who most people know like blood panels and there's liver panels, all sorts of panels that uh, that physicians order. Oh, we think your blood pressure is off. Let's check this. Let's check that. And what you're talking about here is that there are now, and, and this is part of your research and part of your patents, is about having panels that are talking about your DNA, like not just what are Craig's blood markers for lipids, right. but what are Craig's SNPs, these single nucleotide polymorphisms? What, right. is, what are the gene expressions that are different, that are specific to this person? You got it. You got it. And, and just as much as you have a yearly physical and the doctor says, okay, we're going to do a, a complete blood test. <laughs> right. Right? right. PSA so test. If you're a guy, right. Right, right. right. How many red blood cells do you have? How many white blood cells do you have? There's more to it. This, this, I mean, when people hear and understand what we're talking about, they're like, gosh, this should be for everybody. I'm mm. like perfect world. It would be and, and pe yeah. perfect world in my Ted talk. I, 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 I frame this around. What if in your youth, you knew 
if you had a predisposition, would you make different decisions knowing that? Not something that mom and dad said, hey, here's the deal, but a doctor identified in your DNA, would you make different decisions? And to me, that's the perfect world. We all still have free will, but you can go into the game saying, this isn't a place for me to dabble. Right. Yeah, you said wiggle room in the talk. And for me, I'm not going to go super personal, but there are certain things I'm like, no, I have no wiggle room around that. And it's like, alcohol is not a a scary dragon to me. I can drink a little bit. I can drink a lot, whatever the social situation calls for or none. Um, So that's not something that's a problem for me, but I can't imagine what it would be like if, if alcohol was the no wiggle room item, that would be a whole different world for me that I would have to completely change. Right, like change right. how I interact with the world and like what I do. Right. Um, but right. if you didn't know that that, were, that there were these no wiggle room parts. So um, one of the things we said when we talked before we pressed record, I, well, I think I said it and you nodded vigorously was if people listen to this, like if you listen to this and you're thinking like, oh, I wonder, just go get help. You need to like start with your primary care physician. If you don't have a primary care physician, I'm not quite sure where to send you. Like I'm not a doctor, but I think people need to realize that the, the zeroth step is to seek help from someone and then keep right. seeking help until you find somebody who has the solution for you. So, right, right. Um, and, and yeah. we, um, you can go to our website. It's wired for addiction, all spelled out.com. And we offer, because we work with individuals, we work with treatment centers, therapists, coaches, we mm-hmm. work with uh, physicians, we work with the justice system, even people that are incarcerated. Um, so you can go to our website and have a 15-minute consultation at no cost just to point you in a direction for where you're at and whatever is going on with you. Is this something for you? Point you in a direction. Um, we, do that. we do that on the regular because it is so important. This, this problem is out of control. And the, the part that is insane is because we're doing the same thing that got us here and we're not making the changes we need to make to get out of this problem yeah terrific as i say often because it's true um i'm watching our time tick um we could talk about the like i could talk about science and DNA for days, but let's, let's not go too further. Um, let me give you a completely different question. Um, what's something that people get wrong about you? Hmm. Um, probably that I'm always very clinical and then they see mm. me as a mom and as a person. And, and I've had a, actually a lot of people, cause when you're wearing that doctor hat, it's like, you're there, your job is to be the leader of what this person needs. Right. So mm. then when people see me as a person, they're like, my gosh, you're so different. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's just what I have to do to really help somebody. You know, it's kind of right. like, it's kind of like the, the tough love of a parent, you know, being your kid's best friend when you see them messing up is not really being a parent. Right. So it, it's kind of that same thing. So when people don't see me in that, they're like, wow, you're completely different. I'm like, yeah, it's just, that's what I'm there to do. Cool. Um, I'm, I'm debating. I'm watching our time tick away. Uh, I think it's it never ceases to amaze me, um, and I probably should just get over this because, duh, Craig, when I talk to people, it's like there's always the first facet of the person that you meet. You know, so obviously I met you via talking to somebody else and then reading on your website. So I'm, you know, I come at it from like the physician, right. the scientist point of view. 
Um, and then when we were talking, I, I literally said to the other person, I'm like, what's something I should be asking here that I don't know about? And the other person said, you know, you need to talk about the Camino. Um, so I, I think maybe another takeaway here is this may seem to people listening, this may seem like, whoa, those are two completely different facets, this discussion of, um, cause we could have talked for an hour about the meeting of three people <clears throat> meeting three, three meetings on your journey. Uh, we didn't get to the Pyrenees. Like there's all these things we could go way deep on that one story. Um, and we could also go way deep on this science story. So I think if people are thinking this conversation is really interesting because there were two very different things that got talked, got spoken about. Uh, I'm just going to say all people are like that. If you take the time and you get good at having conversations and you're listening, you'll find that everybody has multiple facets like that. And I think I'm going to say that might be an, an interesting piece of what makes you succeed at helping people with addiction, because it sounds to me like the addiction, that, that piece that you see when you're in a clinic, when you're personally in a clinical mind space, you could focus on that, but you could also maybe widen your perspective and see, well, all right, there's this clinically contextual piece, but this is also a person and they have family and social. And um, exactly. I think that being able to see, to perceive those different, um, I'm imagining like a kaleidoscope, you know, you will the yep. slightest change and the person looks completely different, so, right. but I'm rambling. That's a good way um, to say it. No, that's a great analogy. Uh, all right. I will, I'm just being mindful of our time and people listening. I will just say, and of course the final question, three words to describe your practice. Isolate, identify, and measure. Cool. All right, Evelyn, I said it before. I'll say it again. Thank you so much for taking the time. It was my distinct pleasure to get a chance to hang out with you for a third chat, first one that's recorded. Uh, and I hope you have a terrific rest of your day. Thank you, Craig. It's been my pleasure. You are really good at what you do. Keep doing it. <laughs>